Attention lovers of mysteries, I certainly count myself as one. In recent years, I've become flat-out addicted to British and Scottish mystery novels, movies, and TV shows. And the natural extension of those is a game that allows me to experience the mystery instead of just reading it or watching it. Don your own detective hat in June's Journey, a free, hidden-object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. It's set in the glitz and glamour of the Roaring Twenties, and you play as June, deciphering clues and uncovering secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. New chapters are added to the game each week, and you can personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. Download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. In September 1879, in the middle of the night, a fire erupted in a bakery while the town of Deadwood slept. It proved to be the most destructive fire in the history of the city, but certainly not the last. Four years later, torrents of water rushed through the gulches of the Black Hills. Some towns were nearly wiped off the map. Downtown Deadwood was completely flooded. So you might not have to strain very hard to see why the creator of the HBO show Deadwood drew parallels between the Old Testament towns of Sodom and Gomorrah and Deadwood of the 1870s and 1880s. David Milch, the series creator, latched on to the twin pillars of vice and depravity and played them for all they were worth in the show. And if the drama had not been abruptly canceled, fictional Deadwood seemed likely to suffer the same fates as the real Deadwood punishment by disaster. As you may have heard or read, the original plan for the Deadwood TV show was to run five seasons, according to actor W. Earl Brown, who played Dan Doherty on the show. Season four would have seen Deadwood hit with a biblical flood, and season five would have seen Deadwood leveled by an apocalyptic fire. Those events really happened in Deadwood, though not in that order. In this episode, I'll tell you the stories of the fires and floods that ravaged early Deadwood. And then I'll switch gears to give you the real history of the mining baron, George Hurst. This one's going to unfold a little different than normal episodes. I'm going to tell it like a novella with short chapters. And at the end, stick around for my interview with Daryl Nelson, the Deadwood History Exhibits Director. We had a great discussion about that pivotal fire of 1879 and a couple of the others that did serious damage in Deadwood, including the one that ended up saving Deadwood's history. So as we dive back into the town's past, here's a message from our friends in Deadwood. Explore the Adams Museum, the Days of 76 Museum, the Adams House, and Mount Moriah Cemetery to fully understand Deadwood's raucous past. At the Adams Museum, Get up close and personal with the legends and outlaws who brought Deadwood international notoriety and see Deadwood's own one-of-a-kind Wild Bill Hickok collection. Visitors to the Days of 76 Museum become acquainted with an astonishing collection of wagons and carriages, including the infamous Deadwood Stage, along with an extensive collection of historic firearms and American Indian artifacts. 
The Adams House, built in 1892, is an elegant Victorian-era home with original contents that chronicles Deadwood's transition from a lawless mining camp to a prosperous and technologically rich metropolitan city. And finally, Deadwood's Boot Hill, Mount Moriah Cemetery, provides a tranquil location to pay homage and respect to such notables as Wild Bill Hickok, Calamity Jane, and Seth Bullock. Let your journey through the Wild West begin in historic Deadwood, South Dakota. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples, especially at this time of year when I'm getting crushed by allergies. In Arizona, we have these wonderful trees called Palo Verde trees. They have yellow flowers that look nice, but produce yellow pollen that makes me cough and sneeze and makes my eyes so itchy I almost can't stand it. Luckily for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. And now, here's Deadwood. Fire, flood, and gold. Chapter 1. The Great Fire It was somewhere around 2 a.m. on Thursday morning, September 25, 1879, when the blaze started. It's likely that most businesses were closed and most people were asleep. But Deadwood being Deadwood, it's also possible that the lower end of Main Street, known as the Badlands, 
was still awake and kicking. The Badlands was the infamous home of dens of iniquity and vice, the saloons that offered gambling, drinking, prostitution, and sometimes opium. But if they were still alight with entertainment, they wouldn't be for long. A raging inferno was headed their way shortly. Up on Sherman Street, which intersected with the upper end of Main Street, a simple accident was about to start a fire that would engulf the entire town. In the Empire Bakery, a coal oil lamp fell off a table and shattered, splashing fire and oil on the pine walls, which were covered with canvas. There probably wasn't a better combination of elements to launch the most destructive fire in Deadwood's history. The blaze ripped through the canvas in the walls. It devoured the bakery, and its appetite kept growing. It spread to the building next door. And then it reached across the street to the Langrish Theater, the home of the acting troupe of Jack Langrish, who had arrived three years earlier in the summer of 1876. At 3.30 a.m., the first alarm bells rang out. If they weren't already awake, citizens now jumped out of their beds. As they raced out of their homes, they would have been greeted with an eerie sight. From the hillsides, it would have looked like a giant torch had been lit in downtown Deadwood, and the torch was growing larger. Townspeople rushed to Main Street to fight the fire, but it kept spreading. It tore through newspaper offices, feeding off reams of paper that must have seemed like tasty meals in a fancy restaurant. It ran to the county recorder's office and consumed vital records of Deadwood's early history. It spread to the Overland Hotel, and then it reached the Jensen and Bliss hardware store. Now the growing nightmare turned into an apocalypse. As the flames burned through the wood structure, they discovered a stockpile of gunpowder. They greedily consumed it, and the hardware store exploded. The explosion launched the fire in every direction, and now the wind picked up and helped drive it through the gulch. A newspaper reported later, Then it was that all knew the city was doomed, as no power on earth could have successfully opposed the progress of the devouring flames. The fire sliced through Lee Street and tore down Main Street. Nearly every building in the gulch was made of wood at that time, and each new business was another course of the meal. Not even brick buildings were immune to the blaze. R.C. Lake's hardware store was a three-story brick structure, and it exploded just like the Jensen & Bliss hardware store. As the inferno ate building after building, the townspeople hurried to stay ahead of the flames. They created fire breaks by destroying buildings that were in the path of the fire. The gaps deprived the blaze of food, and it slowly began to die. The people of Deadwood grabbed as many of their belongings as possible and dragged them up into the hills to keep them safe from the flames. The sight from above the town must have been incredible. What had looked like a giant torch before now must have looked like the end of the world. The entire length of Main Street was engulfed in fire. Nearly one mile of homes and businesses were crackling and burning and smoldering at the same time. But as the sun slowly rose, the inferno burned itself out. People stood in the streets and on the hillsides and stared at the charred ruins of a town that had risen in record time and had fallen even faster. 
A newspaper said, Men who had not tasted liquor for years imbibed freely to drown their sorrow, and the number of intoxicated men seen on the streets was appalling. Fights were of frequent and hourly occurrence, and disorder and discord was beginning to get possession of the town. It was estimated that the fire wrought $2 million worth of destruction in the currency of 1879, which would be more than $50 million today. And it was thought that 5 million pounds of goods had been incinerated. But with all that devastation, the death toll was remarkably low. In the immediate aftermath, it was thought that just one person died. The number likely rose in the coming hours, but overall, it was considerably lower than it could have been. Since we all know the city of Deadwood is alive and well today, it clearly didn't perish in the fire. Just hours after the flames burned out, the people of Deadwood began rebuilding their homes and businesses. While the wood was still warm, they dragged it out of the way to begin construction. Seth Bullock and Saul Starr rebuilt their hardware store in the same place on the corner of Main Street and Wall Street, but now they added a brick warehouse behind the wooden store to take care of their excess goods. And they put fire shutters on the outside to protect the windows. And the warehouse and the shutters are still there today. In 1894, the store was destroyed by another big fire that swept through the town, and after that calamity, Bullock gave up on the hardware business. He and some investors erected the nicest hotel in Deadwood on the spot of the old hardware store, and that's where the Bullock Hotel stands today. Al Swearingen built a bigger, swankier gem theater after the Great Fire of 1879. The gem was the de facto headquarters of entertainment in the badlands of Lower Main Street, and like every other building, it had been leveled by the fire. It was said Swearingen spent $225,000 on the new gem theater, which would have been more than $5 million today. But the second version fell in the fire of 1894. When he built a third version after that fire, it went down in another fire in 1899. And that was the end of Al's time in Deadwood. He pulled up stakes and headed for Denver. Within six months of the fire of 1879, the town of Deadwood was completely rebuilt. It certainly wasn't fireproof by any means, as you've just heard, but the people of Deadwood had no intention of quitting. Nearly 100 years later, another in a long line of devastating fires hit Deadwood, but this one came with an unexpected consequence. It led to legalized gambling in the Black Hills, which saved Deadwood's history. Hear that story in my interview with Daryl Nelson at the end of the episode. Chapter 2. The Great Flood In the spring of 1883, newspapers across the country ran dispatches from Deadwood after another catastrophe. A headline in the New York Times read, a Black Hills calamity. More than half of Deadwood swept away. A destructive torrent from the hills. Houses and mines destroyed and several lives lost. Other towns completely wrecked. The Atlanta Constitution said, Down the gulches. The water from the mountains rushing down upon the cities below. 
special article to the paper in St. Paul, Minnesota began, The most disastrous flood that has ever been known in the history of this section has just visited Deadwood and the surrounding country. Just three years after Deadwood completed its resurrection from the Great Fire, it was hit with the Great Flood. The spring of 1883 had been miserable, as far as the weather was concerned. From mid-April to mid-May, it had rained nearly every day. The roads were impassable swamps. The creeks looked like rivers. The ground was so saturated it spewed back excess water it couldn't handle. And then it snowed. Snowstorms are common in the Black Hills in May, and now a heavy, wet blanket of snow covered the waterlogged ground. And after that, the rains came back. Torrential rains pounded the Black Hills on Wednesday, May 16, 1883, and that was the breaking point. The warm rain melted the snow, and the combined force of water plunged down from the mountains. It rushed through the gulches, flattening trees and tearing up hillsides as it went. But unlike the Great Fire, the residents of Deadwood received a precious warning. Because of the amount of wealth in Deadwood, thanks to its gold mines, it was one of the first cities in the country to have telephone lines. At four o'clock in the afternoon, a man at Ten Mile Ranch up the gulch from Deadwood called down to the town to warn it of the moving wall of water. Of course, there wasn't much the citizens could do. They couldn't pick up their businesses and move them out of the way, but they could at least grab some of their goods. The floodwaters buried gold mines and washed away houses. The Homestake Mine, the biggest in the area, had nine feet of water in it. Newspaper reporters said the Golden Gate Mine and the South Bend Mine were washed away. The flood tore down telegraph lines and all but cut off the town from communication with the outside world. One lone telephone line was left standing, and it was overwhelmed by traffic. Whitewood Creek and Deadwood Creek, which converged on the town, surged over their banks and gushed into downtown Deadwood. They pushed hundreds of gallons of mud and water into businesses and pushed some of the businesses clear out of town. The bridge on Lee Street collapsed. Sidewalks caved in. They turned into gullies with water 12 feet deep. The Black Hills Daily Times said the water moved with the velocity of a cannonball. Terraces on the hillsides gave way. The ground beneath the livery stable began to slide. The building leaned to the side, then stalled at a 45 degree angle, and then fell into the floodwaters and washed away. Seth Bullock rallied a group of men to build a levee made out of sacks of oats near his hardware store. They constructed a barricade to keep the water out of his brick warehouse. The upper end of Main Street fared better than the lower end, the Badlands. One report said cheap tenement houses, second-class hotels, laundries, small traders, sporting houses, and livery stables were all destroyed in that portion of the town. Articles in the days that followed said other towns got it even worse. They said Pennington was swept away. Half of Spearfish was said to be washed away, and Crook City was nearly gone. 
The losses in Deadwood were estimated at $600,000 to $700,000, which would have been upwards of $16 million today. In the immediate aftermath, the death toll was pegged at four people who had drowned in the flood, but that number was expected to rise. Estimates said 70 buildings were destroyed or simply washed downstream during the ordeal. But the volume of destruction wasn't as bad as in the Great Fire. And once again, the city of Deadwood rebuilt itself with sturdier buildings and stronger bridges. Chapter 3 the boy the earth speaks to. It seemed like everything George Hurst touched turned to gold, even if it was silver or copper or lead. His father died when George was 26, and the man's parting gift to George and the family had been $10,000 of debt. George was then responsible for caring for his brother, his sister, and his mother. He quickly turned the family farm in Missouri into a profitable enterprise, and then he turned his attention to the local lead mines. He had always been fascinated by mining, but he had no education in geology or mining or anything else. As the nation would soon learn, he just had an instinct for it. His instinct, legend has it, led native tribes to call him, Boy the Earth Speaks To. He bought or leased lead mines in Missouri and within three years, he was able to pay off his father's debt. With his family in a good position, he went west to chase his fortune in the gold mines of California. His first mining venture in California didn't go very well, but his second started a roll that never stopped. In the decade between 1850 and 1860, he prospected and mined the area around Grass Valley in Nevada City, California. He discovered veins of ore, built mining operations around them, and then sold them for profits. At the end of the decade, in 1859, he heard the whispers that swept through the West. There was silver across the Sierra Mountains in Nevada. Hearst rushed to the site of the strike that was called the Comstock Load and paid $3,000 for a one-sixth interest in the Ophir mine. That investment made him rich. The Ophir mine produced so much silver and gold that the mining camp around it soon grew into a permanent town. And today, it's Virginia City. After the Ophir, Hearst bought into the Ontario mine in Park City, Utah, which of course was hugely profitable. It made him millions of dollars. And then came the gold strikes in the Black Hills. Brothers Fred and Moses Manuel built up the Homestake mine themselves, and then they sold it to George Hearst in 1877. Hearst went on to buy more than 250 gold claims in the area, and eventually consolidated them into one giant mining operation. That operation became the largest and most profitable gold mine in North America. Five years later, he bought into the Anaconda mine in Montana, he was told it would produce silver and gold, but it ended up being the richest copper mine in the world. Over the course of 30 years in the West, George Hurst built himself into the premier mining baron, and he became the richest man in America. And for those who might be wondering about his portrayal in the TV show Deadwood, no, 
he was not the murderous megalomaniac he was made out to be. He was a no-nonsense businessman, that's for sure. And yes, he bought up the competition whenever possible. But he didn't kill people to do it. He simply had more money than everyone else. Along the way, he married a schoolteacher from Missouri named Phoebe Apperson, despite the protests of her parents because he was more than 20 years older than she was. They were genuinely in love, and she moved to California with him. In 1863, they had their only child, William Randolph Hearst. As George Hearst's wealth grew, he branched out from mining to invest in real estate and cattle and horses, and in 1880, the newspaper business. He acquired a small newspaper, the San Francisco Examiner, though he never had much interest in it. But his son William loved it, and he used it to build a publishing empire that still exists today. Toward the end of George Hearst's life, he became a senator from California, and he and Phoebe spent the last six years of his life in Washington, D.C. He passed away in 1891 at 70 years old. And now, here's my interview with Deadwood History Exhibits Director, Daryl Nelson. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Daryl, the, the audience has heard several stories about various disasters in Deadwood. Obviously, the Great Fire, we led, I led off with that. Okay. So what I, didn't, what I didn't go through for them that I would, I would love to hear from you, it's something you teased me with earlier that I want to try to fully explain here. So I, I think every, anyone who knows anything about towns, especially really fast mining camps in the 1870s, assumes they're all built with wood. Obviously, they're all very flammable. One little fire can do a ton of devastation and a lot of damage. Mm -hmm. We heard about how that happened, but because that's kind of the obvious thing that could happen, there was warning about it. Everyone knew this was a possibility. So before, long before the fire actually happened, people were warning about the fire. Tell me about the article that you, that you discovered that was a prominent one that said, hey guys, we might have a problem here. These are some things we should try. Okay, just behind that is this, is this mystique of fires in the hills. Well, of course, there's gonna be a fire in Deadwood. The, the name of the city comes from the fact that according to Forest Service records, there had been a major fire in the area. So there was the evidences of natural fire. The Deadwood fire was in a different animal altogether. It was a bunch of human choices. I can imagine a fictitious Lakota wise men on the hill saying, what are you people doing down there? Because right. it's obvious they're asking for trouble. So May 26, 1877, which I should say is the entire venture is illegal. Everybody there knows this is Indian land, which means that the lines of communication and the lines of moving of, of, of any supplies is distant and, and risky and expensive. So uh, May of 1877, uh, the uh, local paper, uh, Pioneer Times, says, and, and this is interesting, it's, it's, an, it's a Saturday publication, and it says, in view of the fire yesterday, the day before then, we should be talking about fire. It's on everybody's lips. So there were fires and fires and fires that 
they knew. Right. Uh, and so the article says, uh, the editorial says, in view of that fire, we should be talking about the eventuality. There will be a fire someday. So uh, we should get a host company. They had nothing, apparently. Right. Uh, no equipment, and any equipment they were going to get was going to come a mile an hour on a bull train from Sydney or Cheyenne. It, it, it was a lot of expense to get that to happen. Um, so they said, we need, a, we need trained people, we need a water supply, because there's going to be a fire. And interestingly, this, this kind of plays into my take on it. The very next paragraph, the editor says, by the way, this city is filthy. There's crap all over the place. We need to address this. So what I'm suggesting is, um, in, in more than one way, these miners, were, they're, they're miners and they're legendary characters. They tend to not be very neat people. Right. And they trash the place. So this sets up both uh, the, 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 the power of the fire, why it spread so quickly, and then what the city people wanted to do in response to the fire. So what's what's one of the first either steps or missteps that you've discovered with regards to the actual fire itself? There was there was two years of warning before it actually happened. Right. And anyone with half a brain knows that the possibility is huge right. that this can happen. So what, what are some of the most immediate steps that happen well, when the fire starts to break out? Well, in, in between those two years, uh, some of them got the message. There were a few brick buildings, but a lot of business had fireproofs, which are brick structures in which they put their safes. Okay, yeah. uh, they, they, they proved to be not, not, not that safe. Uh, so there are a bunch of those around. Th those are reported after the fire, which one survived, which one had blown up. Uh, and they did establish some kind of a hose team. So there was a fire apparatus, and they also built some, some fire tanks up on the hill, and they had hose, and in fact, the nearby city of Leed had fire equipment because after the fire, they asked Leed for help. Couldn't get there soon enough. But sure. the point is, they had some things in place. So, 2 o'clock on the 26th of September, um, 1879, a fire starts. 2 o'clock a.m. 2 o'clock a.m. Yeah, it's, it's the middle of the night for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. So, people are not ready. They ended up running out in the streets in their, in their, uh, in their pajamas. It, it was chaos. So, the fire starts, um, and it burns in a place that the newspaper later said, well, yeah, there's been a fire in this place six times in the last year. So, right away, the human element, a bunch of decisions, and, and the lack of ordinances immediately begins to play. It continues because the fire moves building to building, and then it goes to a hardware store where the newspaper people said uh, later on, you know, if we had had city statutes, they would not have had all their black powder in the building. So in three different buildings, there was black powder in a car. Not only did it blow up the fire, it fragmented a whole bunch of, of fireproofs. So these brick structures suddenly had ways for fire to get in, toasted everything inside. So immediately, um, and, and the newspaper people were, were, were pretty judgmental about saying, you should have done this, you should have done this. Have done this. Um, oh, another layer to this, which is fascinating, uh, four days after the fire, the newspaper writes the editorial, another editorial and says, we don't want to dig up this sore topic about the Homestake gold mine and the Dismet mine providing water to us. It hadn't been done yet. They were under contract, and and so the, the editor was editor was trying to say, don't blame them because the the uh, the f supply of water to the city was in the works. It just wasn't fast enough. Uh, so there are a bunch of moving parts to this. It wasn't they they weren't totally unprepared, but mostly unprepared. Right. So it, it like a lot of things. If if they're if 
if you had taken this road instead of that road, if all these things had not lined up in the perfect order, if the mines had been providing the water they were supposed yes. to have provided, if the hardware store had not had its black powder stored inside, yes. if X, Y, and Z had not happened, so at least some of the mega disaster right. could have been avoided, right. but of course it wasn't, so we had this complete devastation of downtown. Right. And in relation to the water, that too has other layers to it because there were tanks in place they weren't full, and there's miscommunication about who was responsible for which sure. line. There were hoses that burned up. They asked for to the nearby city of Leeds for help. They couldn't get there in time. The, the hose cart burned up. Uh, and this is an interesting story. In one of the water pipes from, from a tank, somebody had plugged it with a bunch of branches. Like, what? <laughs> so there were a whole bunch of necessary false starts, mis miscommunications. Um, and people not being able to work together fast enough. Um, so according to the paper, that would have made a difference. But what, a, what really would have made a difference is if those first three stores had not put black powder in their buildings, they could have managed. Once the fire was going, it was a wall of flame. People came apparently screaming out of their, of their houses. And, of course. Yeah, of course. Um, and for a while they thought, oh, there should be this horrendous loss of life. Uh, after the first few days, they said, well, no, no one has been killed in this. Yeah, I, I read that maybe one one person was uh, a man was found dead in, in a structure. He was apparently deaf and didn't yeah. you know yeah. didn't hear the alarms going. I didn't hear the panic and the chaos yeah. around him. He ended. Up, I don't, I'm not sure whether hey, not, to, not to get too morbid and graphic whether he actually burned alive or whether he died of smoke inhalation. Oh uh, yeah, but yeah, he was just yeah. he was he was one of the victims of the whole thing. But there were extenuating circumstances to There's that. Another, another story of that about that is a, a a Molly Johnson who was a madam was going, the fire had, it was coming, and she ran into her building to retrieve the dead body of one of her girls who had died. Really? Uh, so wow. this whole thing is layered with people making choices like, oh, you shouldn't have done that, or you should have been more prepared, or we talked about this. And so eventually, well, within, you know, the fire only lasted two hours. Yeah. Two, two, uh, two yeah, by five o'clock, incredibly, they were rebuilding. Um, they were they were digging foundations um, by six. Harris Franklin, who came you know, uh, later, was a very wealthy man. He apparently lost everything, as they say, except shirt on his back. By six o'clock, he had guys redigging his foundation. So immediately, all over town, they had they had not only decided to stay. And in fact, the paper said very few businesses are leaving. Right. All right. Um, and they had all by, by the end of the day, end of that first day, they had already contracted with sawyers and, and uh, brick and wood sources all over the area. So people were flooding in to rebuild, make some money because Deadwood was then and they were making a lot of money and they continued to do so quickly again. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, of course, as, as they all sort of, the audience also will have heard in this episode, the consolidated mining operation of George Hurst became yeah. the largest gold mining operation right. in North America. Right. Clearly, everyone knew there was a fortune to be made here. Nobody was going to give up. No one's going to get a little, a little, a little yeah. fire flatten the town, get in the way of everything. So you're saying if, if we assume the fire started around 2 a.m., right. by 6 a.m., that same day, four hours after the fire has raged through town, That's, an yeah. hour after it's kind of burned itself out and leveled the town, yeah. People are already yep. not only planning for how to build yep. up, they're starting to clear out the old oh, dead right, wood, right, as, we, right. as I used an awesome pun and right there. And by mid-morning, the saloons yeah. are open. Of course, just, just throw, as, as they used to say, throw, two, uh, throw a plank of wood on two oh, barrels yeah. and you've got a saloon. Yeah. So. And, and later in that day, many businesses on Main Street, where they, it was just cinders behind them, they were standing in front of their, fry, their fireproofs selling stuff. And immediately, uh, 
there were some who said, I'm going to buy all the flour and sell it at 10 times the price. Sure, of and course. And other businessmen said, hell no, you're not going to do that. And they worked together and they ruled out that. So um, they advertised within two days, we're selling our stuff, we had this much stock, there's anything you want from oysters on ice <laughs> sure. to women's clothing from Paris, it's all here and we're keeping the same prices. Right. So again, it's, it's humans doing things with each other. It could have been different. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm impressed by how much, I'm, uh, why they didn't give up. They should have left. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm glad you brought that up too, because I was surprised at how many people, how many, all the, uh, many, many of the same businesses just simply rebuilt yeah. right in the same locations. As, yep, we, same location. as, as people have heard me, if they, if they were present at the Deadwood uh, presentation I gave earlier in the month, as on other episodes of the podcast, we've talked about the, this, the history of essentially the Bullock and Star hardware yeah. store, that it was leveled in this fire. Yeah. They rebuilt it in the same place, but again with wood yeah. for some reason. <laughs> Yet they built a warehouse of brick behind it, but they built the same, the actual store in wood, it got wiped out by another fire, yeah. and then the Bullock Hotel was built on top of that. They just kept rebuilding, sometimes yeah. in yeah. bigger and better ways. For instance, yeah, yeah, the Gem yeah, Theater, Elsewhere Engine went bigger and better, but you know, they just kept saying, okay, well that happened, now let's just put it back together. Yeah. And you wonder about the confidence they had. My hunch is that they knew, we're, we're remote, we're having an adventure, we're going to do this. And there must have been a certain amount of bravado and the fact that they were all doing it together. Yeah. Sarah and Bullock were, were two who were in front of their fireproof selling goods within days. Man, I would have paid money to see that. Oh, if for, yeah. if, as, again, to kind of, so I, I don't want to beat a dead horse here and keep coming back to the Deadwood TV show, but it does it does remind me of the very first episode of the Deadwood TV show where Bullock and Star are selling goods just out of a tent. Yeah. They have brought a, a, a wagon load of goods. They're selling it out of a basic canvas tent, and of course then they build the yeah. store. But it is, it is funny that three years after they arrived with their tent store, they're right back to selling goods out of a raw little yeah. uh, structure of yeah. some kind. It's, it's amazing what businesses thought it was important to start immediately. You could buy cigars, you could buy liquor, you could buy shoes. Everything that the town had before was pretty much still available. Yeah. And I, 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 I'm curious, I think if I had been a, a young man uh, like, like uh, our, our, our own Mr. Adams, he came in his 20s. Right. I think I might have said, yeah, we're going to do this. And yeah. start again. Well, I mean, that, that is that is indicative of the, the pioneer spirit, if we want to yeah. keep using that yeah. that phrase that many of us who study the Old West have yeah. heard so many times. They were they were pioneers. They were in a place. They were there to build their fortunes. Yeah. At the same time, there was also, you also have to look at it as, there really is no safety net when it comes to this thing. We're, we're here. Right. We probably right. spent everything to get here. Right. Our livelihoods are dependent right. on this. What are we going to do? Now that we just lost everything, yeah. where are we going to go? Yeah. Gonna move somewhere else with yeah. nothing and well, do nothing? That, that's, uh, that's a good point because as I began this conversation, everything then, before the fire and afterward, everything but the bricks and the pine they used came in a bolt train. So when they were getting supplies, they were paying a great deal of money to haul this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so right after the fire, um, Adams had something like 10,000 pounds of flour, uh, a whole bunch of gallons of, uh, of cooking oil, bacon, ham, a lot of stuff. So my impression from, from them and the other goods that were already in town is, this must have been a really productive money-making operation to have all that stuff immediately. And right. then, then one of the first thing they did was to reestablish the, uh, um, the telegraph. So sure. there, they, 
stuff started to come in to get the word out. Hey, to get the word out. we just lost everything. Send us all your oh, stuff. And they basically, did. yeah, yeah. It's incredible yeah. that there's a the story about these these kind of wild, courageous, sort of lawless, but just uh, um, adventure-seeking people in Deadwood. True, but that was the tip of a bunch of corporate reach because all these uh, freighting operations were corporations. Sure, sure. So, and then even even uh, even in mining, early, 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 1876, the first stamp mail comes in, big time corporations. Yeah. So Deadwood is not purely this individual entrepreneurship, I'm gonna go strike a rich. It was the byproduct of and supported by big money. Yeah, who'd have thought? Yeah, you look through all American history, nothing stays independent for very long. Right. Everything becomes a company and a corporation and a conglomeration and grows and, yeah. and all of that stuff comes in after a while. So if you're in that first generation, you get a little taste of it, but then eventually yeah. I, it's I gonna- think, I think that may be some of the wistful memory of the whole Deadwood thing. Some of the pioneers saying, oh, man, back in the good old days. Or uh, Estelle Bennett's book about growing up in Deadwood, the last comment on, in her book was her, her dad, she or her dad saying, no, we're going to lock our doors. So the good old days, even, even Deadwood had the good old days, which, because we're the white guys, we won. So sure. we get to remember it with, with sure. some, with some uh, feeling of success. Yeah, there's, native, a, there's always a whole other side oh, to this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The person is a yeah. different trajectory. Yeah, I've, I've done a little bit of that with the podcast, but anyway, that's not the point of this discussion here. But yeah. yeah, obviously, anyone who knows this history and loves this history knows that there's like a there's a whole other flip side to this story. So we we can talk about this and the resilience oh, yeah. And, yeah. And, the, and the pioneering spirit here, but there is obviously a, a, a whole yeah. separate side to it. Yeah, I think if if things had not gone well, uh, the memories wouldn't be the same. But as it turns out, they, they prospered. Uh, I was looking moments ago at a picture of Deadwood, 1880, a year later. You, you'd never thought it'd been a fire. Sure, sure. Uh, and you'd never know it'd been a fire because so many buildings and because so many rebuilt in wood. Like, what are you thinking? Yeah, that's that's what, that's what has endless, endlessly fascinated me. That yeah. it, especially guys like Bullock and Star. I keep coming back to that example. Clearly had the wherewithal and the forethought to build a brick structure to how to warehouse their goods yeah. with fire shutters. But yet they built their store out of wood. And yeah. I, I mean, who knows what the rationale for that? But there could have been other reasons that I can't think of. But yeah. you would think if you're preparing for fire on the back end of the structure, <laughs> why not also prepare well, for it on the front? Yeah. So. I loved all the information there about about the about the series of fires. Really, we, we really were honing in on the fire of 1879. But of course, there have been many other fires that have, that have right. ravaged Deadwood, as we talked about over the years. Right. I do want you to, to toss out a couple nuggets that you just mentioned to me off air about the fire of 1952. Okay. And we'll spin forward even further from that. So okay. like a hundred, almost 100 years after the original devastation, we have two more big fires that led to two, uh, well, one big pivotal event in, in Deadwood's history, but another one that was very reminiscent of that 1987. So tell me about 1952. Okay. So 1952, um, a building which appeared to be brick, it looked like it was fireproof, burned to the ground. It was the city hall, and of all places, the, the fire department was in there. Uh, there was a theater in there. It was a huge structure that was central to the, 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 the core life of the city, totally destroyed. And importantly, all of the city and county records were gone. And that was the second time because the first time, in the first fire, 1879, all the records disappeared then too. So twice the city just about lost its entire legacy. Right, yeah, all the, uh, much of the documentation was lost in 1879 oh. and then again in 1952. Oh, the stories we don't have. Oh, of course, yeah, oh, the, the great stories, the amazing stories that we do have, can we only imagine how many right. more things were written down in both of those places at the time right. that we've now lost. Right, right. So skipping forward now uh, 30 more years, okay. 
and almost uh, 100 years after the original fire ah. was the Syndicate Fire of 1987. Right. The Syndicate burning, building burned down here in downtown Deadwood. That led to a prominent effort to pass a law to right. legalize gaming here in South Dakota. And I'll throw out a couple quick stats and I want to hear some more of the good okay. stuff from you that when that happened, when gaming was legalized in South Dakota, South Dakota, Deadwood, the city of Deadwood, was the third place in the country where you could gamble legally, uh, outside of Las Vegas, Nevada, and Atlantic, Atlantic City, and Atlantic exactly. City, and Deadwood. Those were the three. Oh yeah, it was novel stuff. And and the fact that what happened in South Dakota is, like, what? You got yeah. the wrong state. But so tell me about the effort. It was called You Bet. If I'm not Deadwood, if I'm, You Bet. Um, and uh, some local leaders were committed, and they worked tirelessly, as I been told around the state telling people we need to do this we need to do that it's, it's for the benefit of the state uh, good revenues for the entire state um, and how would some of that revenue be used then as far as it, it is my, my understanding is a lot of the line the line share one of the driving forces of this was historic preservation right, right. I, my understanding is that this was the first time that gaming was allowed for the purpose of historic preservation not just to, as a as an entertainment right uh, so Deadwood was a national leader Deadwood, brought, then, Deadwood was able to bring in right. gaming so that we could they could help fund the preservation right. of Deadwood. Right, a certain, a certain percentage every year since then has gone to the Historic Preservation Commission. And a lot of organizations, including us, uh, apply every year, uh, submit a budget. Uh, and so Historic Preservation Commission uh, in the city and around the state sponsors historic activity. It, it's, it's an amazing... I don't know if any other state does that. I, I'm not familiar with one. We might get some some people, some listeners write into us and say, "Oh yeah, our our state does it, or our city does that, something like that." Right. I'm certainly not familiar with it. But you know, one of the one of the great things, another thing that that uh, one of our, our dear friend Rose Spears here was talking to us about earlier was that that the renovation of Deadwood, thanks to that gaming money, was second only to the renovation of New York City. Right. Right. And between 1987 and you know, well, you could say now, yeah, uh, the the overhaul of the city has been immense. Oh, yeah, yeah, and it continues. There's ongoing efforts, uh, and a person could walk down the street and say, historic, historic preservation, historic preservation, historic preservation. All lots of visual evidence of of that group and and those decision makers valuing preserving the character of the city. Uh, so we we are. What we are today, because of a bunch of tragedies and some and some literate, committed people to say not anymore in yeah. establishing a finally a hundred years after the 1879 fire, the community of Deadwood, the state of South Dakota, came together and said we have to do something about it. Right. We can't keep losing our history. Right. So gaming was legalized to be able to help fund the the reclamation yeah. and res, and res, res, uh, resurrection of some right, of that right. history. And even that so. uh, that committee that 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 fought and, and formed from the state. That was a bunch of people who gave their time. You know, the mayor was involved and that, and a bunch of other leading citizens. And I'm not sure, well, the, the average uh, visitor to, to Deadwood today doesn't know that. No, but those would, of us who've been around, yeah. uh, others more than me, know that the city just barely got by. Because before that money came through, as I'm told, there were a lot of empty storefronts, potholes right. in the street. Uh, Deadwood was not going to survive right. without a handful of people totally committed and just not giving up. It's a great story of persistence. I'm, say, I'm, I'm certainly glad they did it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Thank you very much for your <laughs> Thank time. You. Really appreciate Thank it. you. I enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to this special mini-series about Deadwood. We'll see you down the road for the next full season of the Legends of the Old West podcast. As always, if you like the show, please give it a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. 
You can check out our website, blackbarrelmedia.com, for more details and follow us on social media for news of the show. Our Facebook page is Legends of the Old West Podcast, and our handles on Twitter and Instagram are at Old West Podcast. Thanks again. We'll see you soon.